Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 176 of the Morning Skate. For those of you not familiar with my voice, I am Hank, the Flyers guy. Uh, before we introduce our guest, I want to say hi to our fearless leader, Ked. How you doing, buddy? Living the dream. I think this is going to be a good podcast. I'm really excited about it. Uh, you haven't introduced who we have on yet, but before we do, I just want to say thank you for hopping on the first day of hockey season. I know that's hard for all of us, but I'm super pumped that you're here. That's what I got. That's my spiel. Dude, same, same uh, as you. I am so thrilled to have our guest on. You most likely know him from his outstanding work on ESPN, where he's been since 1996. In addition to that, he's been calling the NCAA Frozen Four since 2013, the Regional since 2008, and has built up the Bucci Overtime Challenge into a brand that basically every hockey fan knows. I think you know who I'm talking about at this point from Pittsburgh, PA, Mr. John Bucci-Gross. How you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Hello, boys. Well, I mean... So let's just kind of get right into it. Uh, you know, you told us kind of before we started uh, recording here, you know, what you've been up to since uh, the NHL season start or ended. I know that uh, college hockey has been kind of in full swing, but, uh, you know, what you've been up to? Just, you know, doing sports centers. And uh, you're right, the college hockey season has been underway for a while. But mainly, yeah, since the uh, – of course, we had the we had the stoppage and then the – and then the then – the re- uh, and then the restart, and then the championship. So yeah, throughout the whole process, I still did Sports Center, um, and so the whole the whole year was somewhat normal for me in that regard. Um, you know, obviously the calendar's kind of off kilter a little bit. The, the rhythms of the season, and when you have time off, and you get geeked for the season to start, and the weather's a certain way when that happens. So everything's kind of off now uh, with the start of a season after Christmas and the new year. But you know, we're pretty resilient species, so we can figure it out and we can still enjoy it. And uh, so, yeah, glad it's back. Still weird without the fans. It won't be back until the fans are back. That's kind of how I look at it. And I know we're fans watching at home and it's still fun to see an amazing Sidney Crosby goal on opening night. You know, a goal like we've never seen before. And so, you know, when we see that kind of skill and uh, it, it's awesome. So it's back and we'll enjoy it. But until the fans are back to me, it's not really back all the way. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the, the fans provide the atmosphere. It's nothing like a home goal, you know, in a big time situation. The crowd goes nuts and, you know, the adrenaline's pumping. You know, I couldn't agree more with you there, man. Um, yeah. In college, right? Like college hockey, when you score a goal, those fans, you had the pep band in the stands. Like <laughs> now pretty much everybody's lost on beers. And like, I know the NFL is a little bit different, but I'm sure the college players are kind of hurting there when it comes to that. Yeah, for sure, because it's you know there's smaller venues. Some of them are really small, so it's really loud and, and really uh, you get that noise factor. But um, right, the band and the fans and you know even the media can't even get to these some of these hockey games. So you know, although I've done I've done two college games this year, one at Penn State and one at Ohio State. So I actually got to go to the rinks. That was kind of cool. I'm surprised we didn't do them off the TV like a lot of these games we've seen in all sports are being done off a monitor where people just – the broadcaster watches the game on the TV and does the game. So I'm, I was grateful that we were actually able to go to Penn State and go to Ohio State 
Uh, there were parents in Penn State. There were no, nobody in Ohio State. So that was. But once the game's going and I'm doing the play-by-play, it fe- that that's when it kind of felt normal, even when somebody scored, because uh, I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm describing, and then the analyst comes in. So that moment, it kind of felt normal watching at home, obviously, and and waiting for the fans. It's it's not quite normal yet. Right, and that Penn State crowd, I mean, like the student section, they go berserk. I think it's one of the most unique crowds in hockey. You know, what was the feel like? Uh, I mean, you've obviously seen a game uh, from Penn State where this full crowd and it's going nuts, and then, you know, you had to watch it without. It was, you know, that had to be a top 10 on missing the fans moment. Yeah, for sure, because I, I was able to do, you know, for some reason we kept going to Penn State early on when they got, well, we started doing regular season hockey at ESPN. We just only started out a few years ago, and, we seem to have two Penn State games every year, so that was awesome. The Roar Zone, it's, it's kind of neat because you get half Penguin fans, half Flyer fans. You know, Penn State's right in the middle of Pennsylvania, and so it was always full. So, yeah, that was a really neat venue. Sold out every game, and so just to be in that place without it was really kind of uh, was kind of eerie. But then again, once the game started and it's hockey, and I'm just trying to make sure I get the names and the numbers, and you cram. It's like a, it's like it's cramming for a test when you you get assigned a game and you try to learn all these new players. Some players you have from the years past, so they kind of stick with you. The seniors that you might have done a game two, three years ago. So, um, yeah, I just really miss the fans, and and right from the get go, to me, it just. Nothing. Nothing's the same without them. I've always, always appreciated them, and always knew how important they were. I think some of the players didn't really appreciate them as much as they probably should. Now they realize that the fans are everything. They, they, they generate all the income for these players. It's why they have a salary. It's why they have a life that they have because of the tickets they buy, the games they watch on TV, and you know the merchandise they buy. That's why they have the life they have is because of fans. So. Maybe in the end, this will you know this will help the players really appreciate. It. I mean, hockey players tend to be really good to fans anyway, but maybe all of them will go the extra mile now and just maybe make even a better connection than they did in the past. Right. It's almost like one of those you know you don't know what you have until it's gone, and yeah, uh, and then as soon as it's it's back, you know, it's just going to be you know that first home goal with a full stadium is going to be so different. I really can't wait for that. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be pretty pretty special. Especially you just think a rookie coming the league. Um, he he hasn't heard he hasn't played a game with fans like that that's so he that first game with fans for him is probably going to feel like his first game again and uh so it, it's really you know you get your first goal first nhl goal and there's no fans how much does that suck you know right it's like come on man uh, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff like that that's uh that's really weird but in the end it's still like these guys you, and we saw how competitive they were in the bubble and they cared and and it was great hockey and uh but yeah you just lack that little extra juice uh, that the fans provide. Right. At the end of the day, hockey is hockey. And if you need fan motivation to play the sport at that high of a level, then you're not playing the right sport. Yeah, it's their job. They're professionals. So like anything, I mean, it, a, a plumber doesn't need fans to come and fix your toilet. You know, he's going to do a great job. Yeah, uh, He doesn't need, he, so, you know, he's a professional. They're professionals. It's their job. They're playing for their next contract. They're playing for their career statistics. They're playing because they're competitive and they're young and they've been trained that way and wired that way. And they've never had an interruption from that way. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a great, and they really, and that actually is a pretty good point to bring up is that it does show their professionalism and how much they care and how much they try and is their job. And, and they take it very seriously. And, and no matter whether it's 16,000 or zero, they're going to play hard. Right. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So, Hey, I want to kind of get into your early days. And when I say early, I mean, early, early. So, you know, you grew up just outside Pittsburgh, but your dad's from the Boston area. 
Can yep. you kind of explain to our listeners, you know, what it was about the sport uh, and your dad's fandom that made you fall in love with the game? I think, you know, like I said, my dad loves sports. He watched everything. I've often said if my dad was a crack dealer, I'd probably be a crack dealer. <laughs> you know, I, I was one of those guys that whatever my dad you know, liked, I was going to like. I was in his hip pocket. And so he played slow pitch softball. He was ultra competitive. He was a really good hitter. Um, he watched every sport on TV, you know, tennis, golf, football, obviously football, baseball were his big ones and hockey. Having grown up in Boston, he would take us to Pittsburgh for a couple of games a year. And there wasn't a lot of hockey on TV when I was a kid. I, I didn't have cable till I was 14 years old. So it was just I get a CBS game every once in a while, you know. And so I learned really the I follow the game really on the radio because him being in Pittsburgh and the, the Bruins were the absolute you know, they were the absolute team of the NHL, the team of Boston. They were the most popular team in Boston. You know, they won the cup in 1970 and 1972, and they probably should have won two more cups in that cup. So they were the Patriots, you know, when the Patriots had their recent run, they were as popular as the Patriots were. And so he's a young man in his 30s, you know, late 30s, early 40s. Couldn't watch the Bruins on TV, so he listened to every game on the radio. And so I was, again, I was in his room and I'd be, I'd listen to the radio with him and he would write down who scored the goals. He kept these meticulous stats and this amazing penmanship um, that none of us have because they learn how to write, you know, when they were young, when they went to school, when, when he went to school, kids don't even learn to write it. They don't even write cursive anymore. Um, so, yeah, so I just really kind of invented the game in my head because the radio, when you, when you do that and you listen on the radio and you kind of invent and just seem really violent, gothic to me, it was like really... Uh, an interesting vibe. I heard this organ playing, you know, and it was like, and, and the, the the way they s- describe the arenas, they're like cathedrals or churches. So there's like this gothic, religious, bloody, violent vibe for me. And then occasionally when I'd get a book on hockey at the library, we had a book fair at school. I'd always get a book on hockey and there'd be like these pic- black and white pictures of guys bleeding, you know, after a fight. And so the thing was just, it was, it was like a freak show to me. And it was, like I said, just this punk rock, crazy mosh pit, violent game that was really that I kind of, like I said, invented in my head. And, um, and so I think that's why it became so visceral. And so indelible is because I listened to the game on the radio and I kind of invented it and I saw what I saw and my imagery was all kind of, you know, with my, my deep imagination I've always had in my active mind, I, I really created a lot of things in there. So it became this really, impactful sport as opposed to the other ones which were on tv it was a baseball game of the week and a and a game on and a football footballs have always football's always been on college and nfl since i was a kid and, and basketball there'd be a game of the week but yeah some some about hockey has had this mysterious quality for me Do right you, you think that that like really helped out your career in a sense that like you weren't really able to watch it so you had to use your imagination to like really kind of dive into what was going on like the only time i listened to the radio is if like the Rangers are on and I'm not home. Then I'll like turn yeah, it on. Yeah. Had yeah. like, uh, that's my go-to. So do you think that that like played a significant role in, into where you're at today? Yeah, for sure. Using my imagination and, and, you know, learning and obviously, you know, not really having you know, video games weren't really invented until I was, you know, post adolescence. I didn't grow up with them. I grew up with little, those little uh, Coleco games that you, you know, when I was about, 12, 13, 14, they, they were invented basketball, football, hockey. The hockey game was great. I love the hockey game. And so those, we had those things. But other than that, we had to play, we either played sports or invented sports or, or wrote about sports. You know, we, we started a street hockey league in high school in Ohio when I moved to Ohio when I was 11. Uh, still only 50 minutes from Pittsburgh, always 
right around the Pittsburgh. My dad was a Sears store manager. So he got, cool. he got transferred about every eight years, but it was always around the Pittsburgh area. And so we started a street hockey league in high school. We'd play Saturday mornings. We did it all ourselves. We didn't tell any of our coaches because we all played other sports. And, um, you know, I'm playing high school basketball, but I, I'm sneaking out Saturday morning to play in the street hockey league. If our coaches had any idea, they would have killed us. And uh, But we played. There were four teams. We rented out the gym at this parochial league school, Holy Rosary. And uh, we played, you know, it was just four teams. We had two games a week. Everyone would bring their couple dollars to pay to rent the gym. And so I started to make this newspaper, you know, the hockey news. I just traced the hockey news, you know, that's that old English script. And then I colored in red. And for the, you know, just on, just on notebook paper, you know, just like you had, in, you know, just like you had, in, you know, with this stuff right here and I would cut that off. So it looked clean, um, but, but I'd make the hockey news, make a cover. And then, and then on the inside, I would write articles. I'd write articles on teams and players that have stats and have standings. And I'd construct this all handwritten, like with a, like a felt pen. And it was like, a, there weren't Sharpies weren't quite invented yet. It was like a big felt pen. And I wrote articles and everything and I would, and I would staple it and I would bring it to school on Monday in high school and Monday and I'd pass it and people would read it, you know, it'd sneak it in their books and read it during class. And when they were done, they'd find another hockey player, give it to him and it would make its way all the way around the school. And then sometimes I bring a tape recorder in, we would broadcast it. So it's kind of like that Malcolm Gladwell thing of, you know, 10,000 hours. I was already doing like, training for my job, but I was just doing it because it was fun and I liked doing it. And I always enjoyed making a big thing out of things. Like when I went to play in college, we played intramural basketball. And, you know, there was A League, B League and C League with all the football players and wrestlers. And I would make rankings kind of like the, the college hockey rankings I do on Twitter. And I, I would do rankings. I'd put them on the cafeteria door and people couldn't. I, I just like to kind of make things important and make things big just to enjoy life and make it more fun and organized and, and, and just, you know, just kind of just make it a big deal and, and fun and uh, make it a big party. So yeah, I was always doing that as a kid and that just kind of carried over um, into college. And then, you know, when I did campus TV and campus radio, and then when I looked for the first job, I just try to always bring that element of fun and creativity and how can we make this bigger and, and interesting and fun. And, and that's always, so that, that started at a very young age. What are the chances you still have one of those? Oh, I do. I, I have them. Yeah, I, I'll have them here. I, I wish I would. I'll, I'll tweet a picture and kind of and, 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 uh, and tag you guys. So you know what I mean? I think it's back home. Uh, I, I head back home this weekend. But um, yeah, I, I still have like two or three copies. That's and, and somehow, somehow they survived 1982. So you no were your job before it was your job. And it, it wasn't even a job to you. Like You were doing it for fun. And yeah, like, still, you were this podcast. it still isn't. Still isn't a job. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I get paid to do sports center, but I don't get paid to do Twitter. But it's, right. you know, it's uh, so but it's fun, like I said. And, and it's uh, it's, it's bringing people together. It's uh, it's kind of bringing a community of people together and and, and to make it try to make it a little more fun, a little more interesting by adding these little just these little Easter eggs. Nothing huge, nothing massive, but just little fun little things to kind of to make it more fun. So when you were looking for the that first job, like was was ESPN the end goal, or or did you just kind of think like, hey, I want to do, I want to talk about sports for a living? Was that kind of the mindset, or was it always like, I want to be ESPN's hockey guy? Yeah, I, I like to do a lot of things, so I certainly had, you know, being Bob Costas was probably in my mind. Being a play-by-play guy was in my mind, and you know, when I graduated and I started entering the field local sports was a big deal. Like, you know, you, you could go to Boston and make 600 grand a year to do the six and 11 sports cast. Like it was a big deal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't regional sports networks really. 
yet. You know, like Nesson was just getting going in Boston, but they didn't have a news department. They just did Red Sox games right. and Bruins games. And um, so there weren't real regional networks. ESPN was obviously growing and getting pretty big. And what happened was local news just decided, you know what, people aren't watching for sports. And they made a huge mistake. And they de-emphasized sports. Sports was getting like two minutes at the 11 o'clock news. I remember Boston Sports, the 6 o'clock news was an hour long. It was 6 to 7. And sports would get like 12 minutes from 6.32 to 6.44. They, they did these amazing features on the teams and the players. And I watched that. So to me, if, if, if I could have ended up working in a city like Boston covering sports, local news, the way they did it, the reporters went to all the games. They traveled to the playoff games. They were there, there on opening day. If the team went to the Super Bowl, they went there. The college team went to the Final Four. They'd go there. You know, there was a big deal. A lot of people watched, big budget. They paid them well, and they got to do all kinds of fun stuff. So, so it was like I probably had a number of things, but certainly ESPN came on the air when I was 13. I saw Chris Berman, the way he did SportsCenter, like no one else ever did it before. Um, and so I said, man, that's what I want to do. That's kind of that, – it, it is certainly kind of an end game, but it probably – it seemed too big to me. It's like, It was like going on the moon. You know, it's like, how am I going to land on the moon? I don't know how to get to the moon. And so ESPN was kind of the moon. I didn't know anybody in the business. I didn't have any contacts. I was just some dude from Pennsylvania and Ohio and then moved to New England when my dad retired the same year I graduated, moved back to Boston. So I went with them because mm -hmm. I knew my first job – it would take a while to find a job. When I did, it would be low paying, so I'd probably have to live at home for a little bit, which I did. So, uh, so yeah, so it's just trying to find that first job. And, uh, but in the back of my mind, I still didn't think I was, even when I applied for ESPN, um, which was kind of a fluky thing, I didn't think I was really ready to apply for another three, four years, but I just did it uh, just to do it. Right. You got to shoot your job at some point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, as I said in your intro, like, you know, you've done so well there. And in addition to your normal sports center duties, you've built up the Bucci Overtime Challenge to something that is, like I said, something that pretty much every single hockey fan knows. So, like, what, you know, what made you want to start that? And at what point did you realize, like, hey, this actually has, you know, a lot of potential to be something special? Yeah, it was just a silly game we would play when we, uh, I used to host NHL tonight on ESPN2. You know, we would when the playoffs started, ESPN had all the games uh, like NBC has now. And so if there was a by the way, man, I miss those days of like Levy and Thorn. Like when I think hockey growing up, I think like Avalanche Red Wings, like Levy, Thorn, like Melbourne, yeah. everybody in the booth. Like those were the glory days. Yeah, it was awesome. And like I said, we lost hockey in 2004. Hope to get it back. This is the last year of the TV uh, package for NBC. I assume bidding probably is starting this month where networks make their bid, mm -hmm. um, how much they want to spend, how much they want in inventory. And so I assume that announcement will be made soon in a month or two is my guess because, you know, next season starts in 10 months. <laughs> I mean, this season just started, but the next one starts in 10 months. So you need to let these networks know you know, who to hire. They need time to hire and plan. So I think that announcement should come soon. I hope we're involved, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was just one night. So I would, I would do NHL tonight and we knew our show would follow the playoff game. So it went to overtime. It's like, Oh boy, I guess we're not going on now. Now we wait till the game ends. That could be any time. So as a way to pass the time, me, Melrose and Ferraro, I said, Hey, let's just throw a dollar on the set. Let's pick one guy, each team. If he scores, you take the other two dollars, put in your pocket, start the show. Yeah. If someone if someone scores, no one picked. Just take your buck, put it back in your own pocket. Let's start the show. But so it's just kind of a fun way to little to uh, do a little low 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 uh, low income low wage gambling on the set. So once so you know that we let again we lost hockey in 04, and then 
got on Twitter about oh nine or ten, and then I remember one day I was just actually I went I think I went to a Bruin game, a playoff game on my own, and then I came either did it there or I did it in the car for another game that and I said. And I remember that game kind of came back to me. Oh, I remember that game that, that we used to pick a guy. So I was okay. And I, so I tweeted, and I just on Twitter, hey, pick one guy each team and I'll retweet. You know, retweet was big currency when Twitter first started. People <laughs> thought that that's how they got a voice, maybe got more followers. Yeah. So, uh, and I just put hashtag, you know, Bucci Overtime Challenge, kind of clunky, kind of literal. If I'm sure if I hired a focus group, we would have come up with something shorter and more clever. But it's like, I think in the end, that's part of the appeal. It's just this stupid, clunky, literal Bucci Overtime Challenge. It'd be like on a TV show. If you picked a contest, that's what you would pick, you know. But again, that's, I think that's part of the appeal. And, I, and like, so I did that. And I couldn't believe the response, especially like the second or third time. It's like, holy mackerel, there's a lot of people playing this. You know, I just promised 10 retweets. So I kept growing with each playoff game. I said, maybe I'll, what do you think? You know, I kind of threw a line in the water. What do you think if I make t-shirts next year and I'll, you know, and I'll like send like 10 t-shirts out instead of 10 retweets. And then I'll give you a chance where you can buy the t-shirts and I'll give money to like hockey charities, you know, and there seemed like to be enough of a response I try to do the the, the the ratio or the you know the the forecast. Okay, if this many people said, yeah, I'd buy a T-shirt, and maybe it's times ten or you know, something like that. Um, like if a congressman gets three letters from his constituents, or that's like a lot of letters because you know usually nobody writes. But if he gets six or seven on an, an issue, he probably thinks, I bet that's I bet a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. So that's why so that's I took the gamble. I bought a thousand T-shirts. I said, oh boy, I hope I sell these things. You know, I mean, this is, but sure enough, they sold right out. And then I got black t-shirts and they sold faster. So, so I started to learn black t-shirts sell better than white t-shirts. So I filed that away. Then I used to start at hat and, all, and then all these companies wanted to get involved, all these like apparel companies. And they're like, we want to be involved. We want to be involved. We want to be involved. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm just a broadcaster. I wear makeup and talk about sports on TV. You know, I'm not a, I have no idea what I'm doing. So finally, Bar Down Hockey contacted me and same thing. We want to be involved. Like, I don't know what that means. So they, they, just, they did this mock-up of a hat, a Bucci, the, you know, the original Bucci Overtime Challenge hat. I go, that's perfect. People will buy that. Yeah. So at least like, he came with something. Like You gotta, you know, just can't say we want to be involved. You got to give me right. a pitch because without me even know that someone needed to give a pitch or what a pitch was, he just did it. Perfect. So now I, so then now that I do stuff with them a lot and that's when it really grew apparel wise and I've given away like a quarter of a million dollars in to charities since I started, I kind of wish I just kept all the money and paid off my mortgage, but you know, yeah, promise is a promise. And so you got to do it. But, and then the college hockey hashtag thing started just as, you know, just a little bo talking Boston accent with Scott Van Pelt at work, you know, watching the miracle movie, you know, Coxie, why do you play college hockey? Coxie. Isn't it obvious for the girls? Yeah. So I was like college hockey. So that just became a icky kind of college hockey, a little bit of a brand. Just again, just a fun thing, not a big deal, kind of dumb when it's all said and done, but just kind of gives it a little brand and a little, I'm waving the pom poms. And so, and that's what they, that's what they both have kind of become. Now they're kind of combined on my Bucci OT website. And it's just kind of been kind of fun to have another muscle, have a little business and try to come up with products people like. And my high school buddy designed the logo. And uh, which is fun to connect with him, P.D. Potenzini from back in Steubenville. And so he does that. And um, so, yeah, so it's been really rewarding to connect with fans and to uh, to have little fun games like that on Twitter.
Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've entered it countless times. Uh, <laughs> I did uh, I did get it right once, and you never picked me. I'm still a little upset at you for, uh, for that. When I first did it, people thought everyone won a T-shirt. I go, do you realize 400 people picked Eric Lindros? Like, you know, you're not the only one. I would go bankrupt in postage if everybody <laughs> won a T-shirt. So, uh, so I think they get it now. Of all the winners, I picked Tammy. And the first thing is to get in the pool, and then you hope. So you get you got to win twice. You got to right. pick the right guy. And you got to get lucky that you're actually picked. So it's been fun. Yeah, the, one one of the biggest reasons I always wanted to win is because I'm a big gear nerd, and I always wanted a brand new stick. Because you ended up partnering with Bauer. Yeah. Uh, to if you know if the overtime winner had a Bauer stick, uh, the winner would get a Bauer stick. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, real quick, like how that come up? Did Bauer reach out to you? Um, yeah, they, yeah, they DM me and they go, "Hey, we want to be involved." I said, "Yeah, again, just like I told you, what what do you want to do?" Yeah, uh, yeah, and they say, you know, they say, "Yeah, we want to give if, if the guy wears a Bauer stick, we'll give him a Bauer stick." I go, "Cool." I go, "You mail it. I'll just send you the address." I, I, I go to the post office enough every day, but if you take care of it and you want to mail it, and uh, then we'll do it. And so, yeah, I, I, I've done that. I did it again this year. I think I've done it probably three or four times. And sometimes other products will come in like that. This no sweat company where you put in your hat in case you sweat. And they gave me like a couple hundred of those and I would throw those in for the winners. And so sometimes another product will come along. They want that I can throw in. So I'll, I'll send the Bucci t-shirt. Then I'll throw this, you know, some other things in there as well. Um, I think Bowers this year, Bauer had a package besides the stick winner that they like masks and t-shirts and hats. And so they, uh, you know, when, uh, the pandemic hit. So, so yeah, so anybody wants to be involved, they could be involved. Like, you know, I like, again, I like it, making it give big, like giving away more prizes. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's tough and the playoffs can get stressful, especially that first round. I think it was two, three, four years ago. It was just mayhem. One night there was like three, four games in overtime. Here comes another one. Here comes another one. And the adrenaline starts flowing. It's fun. But then I, sometimes I get overwhelmed because, you know, I might be busy, then I have to work, and I come back, and now I'm like five, six games behind. Like, and people DM me their address. I got like 60 things to mail, you know. And again, postage, and and, and I pay for all that. So, uh, but it's you know, it's tough at times and stressful. But um, I'm I'm trying to figure out ways maybe to grow in the future, especially as if gambling becomes legal in more states, and maybe play for 99 cents. And have cash prizes, you know, and, and try to make it bigger and try to use the, the college hockey Bucci brand to create something in the media world on my own to try out. So I'm kind of floating things around in my head. Like I said, like I always have since I was a little kid, my mind's kind of always racing to, to do things, have fun, be creative and, and, and see what and dream big, think big and, and see what you can do. Well, it's definitely part of the fabric of, of hockey because, like, literally, anytime there's an overtime game, like the first thoughts, like, okay, overtime challenge, like half. Well, so it's so funny because it always trend, it always trends, you know. So I, I'll go to trends, and like the number one trend will be Snoop Dogg is high in L.A. Number two, <laughs> number two is Bucci overtime challenge. Number three, what is Rihanna wearing tonight? It's like it's so funny. It's right in the middle of these like pop culture, and there's the Bucci overtime challenge. Like. It's, it makes me laugh every time. It's always surrounded by, you know, Gucci Mane or Rihanna or Snoop Dogg or, you know, whatever. And and uh, and there's our little fun little hockey game just kind of wedged in between of all these, like, mega billionaire superstars. It, it makes me laugh every time. And did you ever see that coming? No. Like, no, <laughs> no, nothing about my life I've ever seen coming. You know, I never thought I'd end up working next to Chris Berman, you know, and next one cubicle over, you know, and I was – 13 years old and turned the sound down on television and broadcasting hockey games and baseball games on my tape recorder and then playing it back and listening. And 
And uh, yeah, it's just, um, it's just, you know, I played golf with Wayne Gretzky and Ray Bork. It's like, how is this happening? I was, I was once on the tour bus of Disturbed, get hammered drinking Jägermeister and, uh, and Red Bull. You know, it's like, what am I, how did this happen in Columbus, Ohio? Here I am on the tour bus with Disturbed. And, uh, but you know, their drummer, Mike Wenger was a big Blackhawk fan. And I used to write a hockey column for 15 years on ESPN.com. And I would do articles with, um, you know, my, I, I wrote like, it was. I can't believe. I look back at some of these columns. I can't believe how much I wrote. Was I on meth? I mean, I can't. I, I couldn't write this much now to save my life. Yeah. I was like, holy mackerel! I want that energy back again. But yeah, you know, I would write these musicians who love hockey. I would contact them and write low, and it would be part of my column. You know, I just have an opening salvo. You know, top five MVPs. Uh, Adam Duritz of Counting Crows interview with him, or Mike Rangrim of Disturbed, and any musician hockey fan, and then answered. Uh, you know, emails at the end. And I just loved it. It was fun, but it was a lot of hard work, late nights, and you get kind of burned out, burned out over a while. I'd like to eventually write again in the future some way, but um, yeah, it's been an amazing life. Nothing I do is really planned. I just kind of happens accidentally. My, one of my favorite quotes when I was in college was, I'm like a guy who walks down the street, stumbles over something, looks down to pick it up, and it's exactly what I want. It's like, just kind of how my life, I just kind of wait I kind of just keep walking down the road and wait till I stumble over something. And it's, that's, that's it. That's what I, that's what I'm going to do. And it kind of happens. I've been real lucky that way so far. That's a phenomenal mindset. What was your first like, Oh shit moment? Like, Oh man, I'm here. Like I kind of made it. Like, do you remember your first time? Yeah. You're like, Phew. I remember, certainly I remember that I, I never, I never been overwhelmed. I've always been very comfortable, never really nervous. Certainly the first sports center I did was, with Stuart Scott in uh, Grammy night, 1997. I was hired in October of 96. Finally got to do my first sports center in February. And so I was, certainly, I was excited that day. It was a 1 a.m. and we did it. And then, you know, you, that's the last sports center. So it's one to 2 a.m. And then you kind of, you, you fix any little mistakes you make. Cause that runs all, I used to run all day until like 11 a.m. or noon. It would run that's all the way to noon. Watch that. So, watch that. Like I right. was, Geared up in the sports center, man. Yeah, the new, the the new, the, the the programming, like the afternoon programming, that didn't really start till like 2009, 2008, something like that. We started doing morning sports centers and afternoon sports centers. So you were, you got, you were on all day. You're on for like 12 hours in a row. And um, so I remember being in the parking lot at ESPN afterward. Then we probably got done about 2:40, 2:30 a.m. And by the time I get to my car, it's almost three, and I can just remember just standing there, and I'm just. I could have ran a marathon right then. Like the adrenaline uh, was just obviously soaring after doing that. And then I get up the next day. And again, this is really, you know, the, the internet's not really going yet. There is no email. There is nothing like that yet um, in 97. So I just got like 20 voicemail messages. That's when people would actually call you at work. And it was just so cool to hear from people that I hadn't heard from since college, you know, and I thought no, that wasn't, that wasn't that long ago at that time. It was eight years. So it seems, um, but that's, that's still a pretty big amount of time back then. You know, that's one, that's one fourth of my life, one third of my life back then, you know? So it was pretty, and that was the coolest part hearing from people, college people. Yeah. My college professor put it on in this big, you know, cafeteria. And there I was, you know, like he, cause I, I gave him a heads up. I'm doing sports center tomorrow night. You know? <laughs> and so that, that was the most fun part. You're making your parents proud, um, having your friends back home tell you, man, of all the people that we went to college and high school with, you're the one guy who's doing what he said he was going to do. Right. I go, yeah, that, that didn't seem really that big a deal. It's like, it's the old Avett brothers line, 
in their song, um, decide what to be and go be it. That's what I did. I decided to, and somehow I ended up there. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to get there really. I just kind of, you know, figured it out and just kind of got to get the first job then try to get a little bit of a better job and, and then try to get a little bit of a better job. <laughs> and, and, uh, and that's the way it was, but you know, it, it's also great timing. The media world exploded in the mid nineties, Walt Disney bought ESPN and the media, and then the internet came. And so it was just a mushroom cloud. I was the perfect age. I was 30 years old when I was hired, you know, I was ex experienced, but I was cheap. So I was the perfect combination. And so, uh, it was a great way to get in the door and then it's just been a long, slow, you know, journey up. Didn't really get a regular sports center shift for about 13 years to like 2009. I just did a little bit of everything and um, then kind of hit my ground, you know, running in the last decade and kind of, you know, found my footing there and done, done well. And I was able to do play by play. They let me do that. And they said, Hey, I want to be the voice of the frozen four. And they said, okay. I said, really? <laughs> okay. I would have asked earlier. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to ask in life and you never know. They might say yes. And uh, that's always been kind of my, one of my weaknesses is I tend not to feel like I'm good enough or I deserve to ask for something. And so I tend to, things always tend to come late for me. I, I'm a bit of a late bloomer in every way. And so things get delayed, but I, that's okay. That, you know, that's part of my personality that I accept. I don't push, I've never had one meeting with any superior at ESPN in 24 years about, can I get, a, can I get more run or what do I got to do? I just wait for the schedule to come out and I do it. And I wait the next schedule to come up and I do it. And if they told me tomorrow we're, you're going to go do this and not going to do the eleven o'clock sports center, I say okay. You know what? And so that's just kind of how I—that's kind of my style, and it's worked for me. And again, maybe it's held me back. Maybe I could have made more money. Maybe I could have had some different assignments. But overall, it's—I really—I got no complaints. Yeah, it's, I'd say it's worked. I mean, everyone kind of <laughs> knows you as the voice of college hockey, yeah. uh, which actually kind of brings me into my next question. I mean. Uh, we here at the Morning Skate, we're big club hockey advocates. A um, number of us have played club, myself included. Um, right. One thing that I've seen you say multiple times is club hockey is college hockey. It's one of my favorite uh, lines from you. Hmm. That's not always the case for you know club sports, but it always seems to be for hockey. What do you think it is about club hockey that sets, apart, sets it apart from other club sports? Well, I think people realize you know, there's only 60 D1 teams. There's no D2 teams. And I don't know how many D3 teams there are, but maybe 30. I don't know. There can't be many. Um, so they know that there's way more good players than there are teams. You know, there's way more good coaches than there are teams to coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, these kids, if just something would have happened, whether a break or being picked on an A team when they were 13, like maybe they get a little better competition or there's so many little things. Same with my job. And there's probably a 400 uh, men and women who could have done sports center who are my age, but I just happened to be the person there to get the job and kind of stuck around, you know? So it, 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 it could have happened for a lot of people. So I, it's a very, it's a thin margin of error or margin of success. And so I think they see that, that a lot of these players are really good hockey players. They love the game as much as, as much as Ray Bork does or as much as Sidney Crosby does. And they're as dedicated and, and uh, they love the game. And I think, People in hockey, that's what's cool about hockey is whether it's a fan or a player or a broadcaster, they really respect you. Like it, that was one of the most touching things for me when I got to ESPN and did NHL tonight working with Ray Ferraro. You know, he scored 408 career goals. And I would give my opinion or my 
assessment of a player, almost a scouting report. And he would like really respect my opinion. Like he would almost, and sometimes I would change his opinion. I was like, wow, that's like, there was no arrogance about my talking about hockey or my opinion on a player or my assessment of a power play. Like, you know, why in a five on three, why isn't the power play, the point man should be behind the net. That's always been my big thing. Like five on three, the guy, he should be behind the net. Then everyone's looking at him. Why make it easy and be 50 feet from the net where they can just look. And so that was always one of my things was they should start every five on three behind the net and go two two that way. Boom, boom, make the passes from behind and the goalie's doing this and everyone's, I think it'd be much more effective. And so he's all, he always gave me that respect and Barry Melrose the same way. It's like, that's really cool. Like everyone knows in hockey that we're all, a lot of us could be GMs. A lot of us could be scouts. A lot of us could be coaches. And if we were, you know, with a little more talent or a lot more talent, we could could be a player. We know how to play hockey. We know how, you know, it's just faster explosiveness, whatever, fast twitch. Um, so yeah, so that's what's cool. I really sent a, a sense of respect from everyone in hockey to everyone else in hockey in terms of knowledge. There's no arrogance or, or stuff like that. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I couldn't tell you how many times that, you know, I said like, oh yeah, I played uh, college hockey. And then they were like, oh cool. What division? I'm like a uh, club. And I'm feeling embarrassed <laughs> saying that, but like, no, no, you shouldn't. It, it's yeah. because they don't understand that how legit club hockey is. It's an actual, yeah. like, it might as well just be actual college hockey. Thank you. When, sure. you are into that, dude, when people ask you, you just got to say that you're on the hockey team and just don't say anything else. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, see, yeah, that's what I, I said. I play, hockey at, I play hockey at Sienna. You know, that's, yeah. that's what I do. It's, so people are like, you play hockey here? I'd be like, yeah. So they just thought I was a division one player. I'll ride right. that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Go with it. No one at Muhlenberg College knew it was club for a while. So that, uh, that's what I went with for a while. It was, yeah. out, it was outside of school there I, uh, that I clarified it was club. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at I mean, look at Arizona State. Arizona State was a club hockey team playing Division One schools, and same oh, with Penn no. State. You know, Guy Godowski coached the club hockey team, and then it was a combination of both. And then they slowly made, but you know, their roots are are a club hockey team. You know, and it's just not they're not very far in terms of talent. You know, because again, that first year, some club hockey kids went on to play varsity for the first year, then it, then less. And then obviously the recruits start coming in, but they they they're connected. They're you know they're definitely brothers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And now look at Arizona State. They got Lemuse kid and uh, and Johnny Walker is a stud. Yep, uh, it's unbelievable, unreal growth. Speaking of Johnny Walker, actually, is uh, I haven't been keeping tabs on him other than seeing some incredible highlights he's put up so far. Where does he stand in the Hobie Baker race? And if he's not anywhere, what's the Hobie Baker race looking like right now? Yeah, it's you know it's so hard because of scheduling, you know, and with the World Juniors and you know Alex Newhook was gone for so long, and so you know it's really going to come down to what guy's lucky enough to play a decent amount of games, and you know and have and obviously have a great year and the team does well. So it's going to be a you know Jordan Kawaguchi of North Dakota will probably be tough to beat because he was a finalist last year, and he has a big point streak this year, and North Dakota might finish number one in the uh, regular season. So he would probably be right there amongst the big favors because again, he was a final three came back for his senior year, which Hobie Baker voters love. Um, they, they, they really want these kids to be student athletes and certainly get a degree and, and kind of have the, you know, the mindset of, of Hobie Baker, who's just, who's just an absolute stud, you know, athlete and war and war hero and, and student and just, you know, good looking and athletic and just very, just had a great presence. That's kind of like, you know, that's the ideal for the Hobie Baker winner. And as many of those boxes they, they, they can check. So they like when kids come back and, 
Uh, but certainly if a freshman rips it up like Jack Eichel, he, they got to get the award. And um, so, but right now it's, uh, it's so tough because we don't know how many games people are going to play. It'll be difficult like anything. Um, but, you know, I'm on the committee. This will be my third year on the committee, which is kind of cool. I get a vote and everything, which is neat. And so we'll look at everything and try to find, you know, how you make that balance. Well, this team played 20, but this team played 13, kind of like the Heisman Trophy, you know. Uh, you give it to the guy who only played six or seven games, but if he was that much better, he might have won. But in the end, you know, the guy that won probably should have won. So that's – I'm sure the Hobie Baker will be about the same way. we got to wait and see what happens these next two months and how many games are, get, are getting in. Right, absolutely. And do you think that's going to impact the you know, final team standings and you know who gets into the playoffs and who doesn't and ultimately the final four? Yeah, it'll be tough to come up because there's no pairwise. Usually college hockey is very simple. They use a computer system basically with a couple of human rankings and, and no one complains, even though sometimes I think, well, actually, I think that team – Set that team 1920s actually should be in the top 16, but everyone accepts the pairwise as what it is, whatever the computer comes up with, the top 16 are in. And um, this year, obviously, there is no pairwise because they're playing different games and conference only schedules, so it's hard. But I think that's why I thought, if anything, this would be the year to do something where maybe in, invite everybody in, just everyone who has who's still playing and just have the conferences whittled them down maybe to four teams. And then have four teams a conference. Of course, the ECC only has four teams, so maybe get down to two teams each conference or something. Just figure out a way, maybe do that something like that or invite a whole bunch of teams and play two on three within the conference to get down to a final four if they don't want to travel for regionals and deal with that. Just get down to four teams within all these conferences without too much travel and then have the Frozen Four, hopefully in Pittsburgh. And uh, I don't know if we could possibly, you know, Pennsylvania's had a few instances. Steelers and Eagles have had fans at football games. Of course, those are outdoors. I'm not sure if by early April, if we'll be ready to have a couple thousand hockey fans. My guess is no, um, but it would be nice. But so, yeah, so maybe we just somehow try to get the four teams and then just send them to Pittsburgh. Or do you have the NCAA tournament over two weeks in Pittsburgh? They could play at Robert Morris, have some sort of little bubble, and just do it two weekends in a row. Because then we get 16 teams, and then we get down to four in three days at four regionals, and then we take a week off because basketball plays, and then we play um, the final four. So you could maybe do it back-to-back in one place and uh, and get down the 16 to the four and do it right there. So those four teams, you know, that, that last team was there. for It's only nine or ten days on a big deal. Kids are used to doing classwork on the laptops anyway. Now all students – so that's not a big deal now going forward. So I wonder if they're going to think about doing something like that, just do a 10-day or 12-day bubble somewhere with the 16 teams and get down to a champion. Right, how, yeah. How, how are my boys up in Clarkson doing this year? Good. They're, they're, they're certainly they've been ranked in my top 16 for most of the year. And, um, again, uh, so they're right there with Quinnipiac. And so they're certainly a team that will likely make the tournament. Um, uh, they, they built a real good program there. And um, wild, right? Because back in like the early 2000s, I'm pretty sure they were they were like not a perennial powerhouse, but definitely a team that you that you've known about, kind of oh, yeah. off a little bit. And then it seems like the last right. couple of years they've really kind of brought it back. No, for sure. And uh, yeah, Chris Clark, the former NHL player, he played for the Calgary Flames and uh, had a good career. Played in the 04 Stanley Cup Finals. He grew up in Connecticut. He went to Clarkson, and uh, so yeah, so they had a good past. Jerry York, his first job was at Clarkson, uh, the, the all-time winningest coach at Boston College. He went Clarkson, Bowling Green to his alma mater at BC. When Mike Milbury accepted the BC job, and then resigned that summer, saying that's not for me. And um, and then that's how Jerry York got the job at, at Boston College. It's unbelievable. And um, so, yeah, so Clarkson, you know, they're one of those – college hockey has been around a long time, and teams can take those ebbs and flows. 
and come back. And uh, again, it's it's uh, and Clarkson one of those teams that's definitely on the up right now. I love yeah. hearing, love hearing that. I'm just waiting for the reincarnation of the Spink brothers to come back to Colgate, and so finally something <laughs> good can happen in Hamilton. Um, so I guess you know who would be your favorite uh, for the for, for the championship, uh, and then I guess if you had to pick one dark horse, you know who who would you say? Well, it's kind of cool. it's been a cool year for brands, you know, like, you know, Minnesota's good again. They've been one for number one for a few weeks. North, I, I had North Dakota and my poll was number one. Everyone else still has Minnesota after their first loss. But I just think North Dakota with their uh, schedule and now they're getting some some of these kids back from world juniors who are clearly NHL players. So I do a little bit of what you did and how I think you are. And if you played that team right now, would you win? So I do a kind of a combination of you got to play games. You got to winning games is important. So I got North Dakota one, but I've had Minnesota one for most of the year. Boston College is really good, too. So it's good to see them back after having two down years. I think they have Boldy, right? Pretty sure Boldy's on Boston College. Boldy's, yeah, New Hook, who might be the best player in, in college hockey before he left for the bubble, and now he's nicked up a bit. But he he had an unbelievable finish to last year, future Colorado Avalanche. I think he can he may play this year for them. I think he's that good. Um, but yeah, Boldy, Boldy's really, wow. What a junior he had. He was good before that, but yeah, Boston college, Minnesota, North Dakota. They're the, they're certainly the big three right now uh, uh, in college hockey. And I, I wouldn't, I would think if I had to bet a paycheck, I would pick one of those three against the field to win it all. And um, you know, dark horses, they come in, you know, there's, a few out there, certainly the NCHC where North Dakota is. You know, Minnesota Duluth is obviously the, the dynasty of college hockey right now. You can't count them out. Um, and that conference is so good. You know, Nebraska, Omaha, Omaha is having a nice little year, and they're beating some big teams. And and UMass is back again. This had Kel McCarr and, and what a job Greg Carvel's doing. And UMass is a really good team. So, like I said, college hockey is deep. Uh, like I said, there's more more good coaches than there are teams. So every team is really well coached and um, I'm hoping the sport can grow in the future and add to the future. Cause I think we have the player playing pool and the coaching pool to, to grow the game out West and Stanford and UCLA and Washington. I think the PAC 12 is a great fit for hockey, you know, college, college hockey, uh, the, the, the athletes are great students. They get great GPAs They're normally the highest GPAs amongst the athletic department. So I think that fits at a place like Stanford and, um, you know, Washington, where Seattle is now, the Kraken, that it's always good to kind of piggyback up. I know UNLV wants to get a D1 team in the worst way. Now they see Vegas, the Gold Knights' success in hockey. So I'm hoping we can get more teams out west and um, and form a Pac-12 to go with their TV network, which means more, you know, more games on TV, too. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And we hopefully we could see kind of uh... – you know, ju Canadian junior and college hockey kind of be on level playing fields. You know, it always kind of feels like college hockey is inferior to juniors and it might be uh, in some people's opinion, but just to see that growth and, you know, maybe try to attract more of those Canadian players to bring it up to an equal playing field. That'd be awesome to see. Yeah. I mean, they're two different sports really. Cause you know, college hockey is an older, is an older sport. You know, you get 20 to 24 year olds and you know, obviously Canadian juniors a lot younger, they play more games. You know, college is a great place for late bloomers, great place. You can work out all week. Uh, in the gym, then play two games Friday and Saturday. Normally, with very minimal travel, except for the NCHC. But you know, playing hockey East, you're home. You know, they're 20 minute bus rides, 30 minute bus rides, 45 minute bus rides. Some same city, so it's a great way to grow and and work on your skill, uh, as opposed to junior, where it's kind of like getting ready for a long season. But I think that's one way college hockey can become more like that. Is to play, they, if they have more teams, they could play more games, have a road trip out west. 
again, with this, with the way we've all done work and the way kids, the students have done their schoolwork, you know, you could go out west for two weeks and play 10 games out there. Now, look at Arizona State. They're playing a full schedule this year. Every game's a road game. And that uh, they're playing all these Big Ten teams, and so obviously they're doing all their schoolwork on their laptop, and and they're and they're getting it done. Obviously, it's not the best way to learn. Everyone wants to you know be in the classroom. They know that's and even in college, um, but you certainly could take two weeks and go take a big road trip, and and you could even while you're doing that, you can actually do educational things. You could visit places, you can visit you know museums and, and historical places, and kind of build in the learning with the hockey, and maybe play more games while you. So you could. There's a lot you could do. Like I said, I'm up for trying new stuff doesn't work then don't do it again anymore you know but you can always try stuff do you think that kind of mental grind can potentially get more players ready to play in the nhl um you know i think at that age trying to balance schoolwork and balance a little bit of a social life and and growing up as an adult and making decisions you know, especially surrounding whether it be alcohol that you deal with when you go to college or women or whatever, all these decisions you want to, you know, you make and you grow as a person, as a man, you, you meet these, I, I met great professors where I went to college and it's just that overall, you know, kind of liberal arts educational theme that we've kind of lost a little bit with um, people focusing on one thing. So I just, I'm a big believer in college in those four years, learning how to adapt, meeting people from different backgrounds, a lot of times internationally, especially some of these universities, learning about different cultures. I, I think it's a great way to spend four years or at least two or three. And I always want these college kids to, the, you know, the one and done, I just, it's you really hardly ever leave too late. You know, it's usually too early. So I, I, I always root for these kids to go at least do two years of college and, and then go to the NHL if you're ready, you know, unless you completely dominate, then it's time to go, but that's very rare. So I, I think it's a great overall experience. I think it's better than junior hockey from that experience. Um, but, you know, there's probably always a, a number of people where junior hockey is just better for them to do than, than college would be. So I think they both are there. I think they're different. They can serve two different constituencies and uh, they're, they're, they're both good. Right. Yeah. No, I, I really like that mindset of like the, the one and done only if you dominate. And, you know, you don't really see a whole lot of those, you know, your Paul Correa's, no. your, right. your, your Jack Eichel's, exactly. who actually is kind of generating a little bit of like – kind of like dark horse buzz for maybe the Art Ross, Hart Trophy. So I think it's a good time to kind of get into NHL talk. Um, if you had to pick – you had to pick your boldest prediction for the 2020 NHL season, what do you think it is? I don't think it's real bold, but I think the Rangers will make the playoffs. Let's go! Um, <laughs> you just made Ked very happy. Love that. And the Penguins won't. So that would that, probably be my bold – that would be my bold prediction. Um, I think they're ready – I think some of these, you know, some of these young players haven't played for a long time now, like, you know, seven to nine months. And you're going to see a big jump in some of these 19, 20, 21 year olds because they've been working out for nine months. And it's not your norm. And sometimes you see a big jump anyway. I remember Eric Stahl from year one to year two. He was like, whoa, he's like a man now. But and that was only after, you know, four or five months. So I really think you're going to see a big jump in some of these young guys. And um yeah, it's going to be fun. But I just look at the roster for the Penguins. I just don't see that as a playoff team, especially in that division. And, um, and yeah, I just think our Temi Panarin is like one of the most underrated players in the league. I know people know he's great, but I think he's like really great. I think he's like top five to seven NHL players. He makes everybody better. There's nothing he can't do. Yeah. 
50-50 puck for a small guy. I take him over pretty much anybody in the league. It's amazing what that guy can do to get a puck. He just makes people look stupid. So- yeah. I mean, Pat, Pat Patrick Kane had his career year because he played with him. Certainly Patrick Kane helped him. He's an amazing yeah. player. But his best year was because he played with an, one of the closest players to his skill of his generation. You know, Kane might want to be certainly be one of the best of his generation. He might go down. In fact, I did a, I did a best USA born list of all time column for ESPN.com last year. And I, I had Patrick Kane number one. And, um, but like I said, Panarin was right there that year. He's unbelievable. Shoot from distance, pass, knows the game, competitive. And so, yeah, I think the Rangers, they have a great organization top to bottom from president to GM to coach. And they're going with young guys. They know the young guys the way they go. They weren't sentimental when it came to Lundquist. It's like, sorry, you're just not the guy. You know, we have, we have, we have young goalies who we think are better. That's, 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 just, that's what it was. And he'll still get his number retired. He'll still be beloved, even if he went to play for another team like he was set to do. Um, so if he comes back from his heart situation and plays, it'll be fine. He'll still be beloved. But maybe in the end, he, he might say, you know what? Maybe this was a blessing disguise in terms of I'm going to retire as a Ranger and I never put on another uniform. So who knows? Either way is fine. It doesn't matter if you go and play for a team. It doesn't affect your legacy with that team and that fan base. He'll still be one of the most popular Rangers of all time. Yeah, it's kind of like Ray Bork. He leaves the bees, goes to the yeah. cup. But I don't know about you, but when I think Ray Bork, I think Bruins. Like, yeah, so. it didn't affect it didn't affect his Boston opinion by fans. You know, maybe as a random person, but yeah, it didn't affect it really one bit, especially when he came back and lives in Boston. Like, yeah. like I'm sure Lundqvist will live in New York City for much of his life, rest of his life. So you, you actually mentioned that you wrote the USA article. I kind of want to get into an article that you wrote one time that I thought you, that you were just batshit crazy. Uh, you were the first one to come out that said Ovechkin has a chance of breaking. <laughs> I remember we talked about it on the podcast. I'm like, I think Gucci Man might have lost it. Like, there's no way <laughs> that this is going to happen. I still don't know if it's going to happen, but the fact that it's even a conversation is insane. So, like, what what was going on back then? Like, how, how did you – why did you think that this was going to happen? Where on are you on that now? And like, is it, are you just like, I told you so? Cause if I would do that, I would, cause it's insane. I've built my whole career around it now. My whole legacy of my career depends on him doing this. <laughs> he, he came to ESPN to do one of those, this is sports center commercial. It was, it was that Russian spy one, which was phenomenal yep. uh, with him and Verlamov. And um, so I, I, I was able to, talk to him because I had my hockey call. I wasn't in the commercial, but I was able to, you know, sneak my way in and get a tape recorder and ask him a few questions. And that's the first time I know he was asked because that that's when I wrote. He was 24 years old when I wrote that column. And I, I'm sure I'm the first person ever to ask him the question. I said, you know, do you think you have, I think with this way you, the start you're at historically, and then I went the rest of his career by age and like what, you know, I, and I would, and I went by goals per game, and then I went by as he aged. Okay, when Brett Hall was thirty-six, he had a forty-two goal season, so he could do that. Phil Esposito had one more good season when he was thirty-seven, but and so I, I just kind of did, did those hairs, this historical comparisons, knowing how much players worked out, knowing his genetics with an athletic mom, athletic dad, seeing him in person walking around, and just being a bull, yeah. and and then even at one point I went to pick up. I think I went to pick up his bag or something that he brought um, just because he looked because he was walking to, to, uh, somewhere else. He goes, no, I, I got that. Like it really showed like a humility. Like he was like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll carry that. So just all those factors, 
And then, um, so yeah, so you look at it now, it's, it's not, I got updated on Twitter, you know, all the time. He's really only has to average like 34 goals a year until he's 40 to break it. I mean, again, like I said, and that's all. So, and, and like, and he's scoring goals at a 60 goal clip still, yeah. um, as of last year. Now he's missed about a season because of the, the lockout and because of the pandemic, probably pushes back, but I think he's gonna, I, I think he can, and you know, Yama Yager played till he was 44, 45. Ovens going to play for a long time. He he's just wired that way. He's a tank. Uh, slap shots don't age. Slap shots stay hard for a long time. You don't lose your slap shot. Obviously, you lose your mobility, but he can score in a stationary position like Brett Hall did. You know when he was late in his career. So yeah, I, I just think it's it's a no doubter. I think it's more of a doubt. I think is to me it's he'll, he's more likely to score nine hundred uh, to score a thousand goals than not break Gretzky's record. That's that's what I think. So, I'll never forget that man. I never, I'll never forget. <laughs> I, I hope he's doing okay because there's not a chance. And then fast forward a couple more years, and it's like, holy shit! It was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I never backed down from it too. I never said, no, you I never, I never doubted. <laughs> and he's like LeBron. Like he's, he's like LeBron. He doesn't get hurt too. You know, LeBron's going to break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. In fact, they're going to do it. Kind of close. LeBron will do it first, but yeah, I think I have Ovechkin doing it in um, what was it twenty? Yeah, twenty twenty six. Yeah, LeBron will definitely do it before him. But yeah, my my career is based around that right now. And I'm sure I'm <laughs> backlash on that when it first came out. People are like, "No way! What are you talking about?" And now it's kind of like, yeah, "What were you guys saying?" Like, I, I don't know if you're a grudge guy, but like, I would totally go back to the tweets back then, just start retweeting everybody. <laughs> I, I, I I guess I'm a soft grudge guy. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Okay, so here it is. So, assuming a 60 game this season, I, I this was December 1st, my latest tweet. So actually, we ran out of 56 season. So I was close. It's a 56 game season. I said, assuming a 60 game season this year, that's 35 games missed due the due to the pandemic, or two and a half months, or about 20 goals. So January 15th, 2026 was my projected record breaking date. Um, so I I updated to either April 7th, 2026. Or he'll run out of games in regular season. And he'll do it the following October eighteenth, twenty twenty six. So that's when I have him breaking the record. Twenty twenty six, either either April or October. So we got a ways to go. I got the, I got something hysterical for you. So uh, I knew January fifteenth, twenty twenty six, rang a bell in my head because I think when you first tweeted out your prediction that it was going to be fi- January fifteenth, twenty twenty six. I was so bored doing whatever I was doing. I marked that day on my calendar. <laughs> on your swear, phone? You went ahead on your phone? I swear to God. Yeah, I did. I you marked that, that on my calendar. I think I, I was ready that. to like tweet you, you know, five years from now saying like, eh, you were right or eh, you were wrong. Yeah. I respect the hell out of that, man. Like that. That took some cojones to do, especially when you're talking about the great one. Like, you know how people get because people hate change and people hate questioning yep. all time grades. Like, that took some balls, dude. And, you know, <laughs> like, and the hockey, I don't know if you've been on hockey Twitter. Obviously, you have hockey Twitter is not really the most understanding, <laughs> like, platform. Really. No, yeah, my, but my skin's really thick. Yeah. Being working at ESPN for 24 years, I really, there's nothing anyone can say that can offend me or rattle me in any way. So that, that, that's the good part about being there for a long time. 
Unreal. Yeah, my, our co-host Hal, he's like, you you better bring that up because we definitely talked about it. We owe this man an apology. So no way, it's not done. It's a it's six more years. Anything could happen. So yeah, I, yeah, but I even because I thought it was so like I didn't think there would even be a sniff, and now like look at it, you are you're right. There's almost a better chance that he breaks a thousand than he doesn't break the. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah, it is really well, really. Well, when you play the game the way he does, I mean, I distinctively remember watching a two-minute power play a couple of years ago where Ovi didn't really go anywhere <laughs> other than between the dot and just on the onside side of the blue line. And that was basically the only distance that well, he went. I, he was out there the whole two minutes. He never went to the bench. It was that very short little gap. Well, I've often tweeted out that when he's standing there waiting for the one time, or he even stands stiff-legged, you know, he's just – I, I call it my it, – it's Ovi waiting for a bus pose on the power play. You know, he's just waiting for a bus. And then he gets – and he fires. Like you said, then he waits for the bus again. So, yeah, he's not exerting a lot on, on the power play. So that's why he can stay out for two minutes because he's just not – you know. And then, but, he, but he goes hard, even strength, and we know he's taken the body for much of his career – and he can deliver a revenge check as well as anybody of his generation. And but uh, and he can score from distance. And now he's he'll learn to get closer to the net as he loses a step, which he's starting to lose. You know, obviously the, the full fledged speed. Um, but he runs on adrenaline. He's obviously hungry. Is huge, immense, obviously Russian pride, and that's a record that that he'll want to get. Um, it'll. I think he'll. You know, he'll grip it a bit as he gets close. He will. We saw him grip a bit trying to get to seven hundred and. So uh, it, it'll be a big deal. It'll be the biggest story, one of the biggest stories in hockey history, like you said, because Gretzky will still be a pretty young person. You know, he'll still be in his 60s, so he'll be, he'll be young, and, and uh, he's such a gigantic figure and a graceful figure. So it'll be a neat chase. You know, it'll be really fun for the sport. It'll be one of the biggest record-breaking chases in any sport. Um, really, it might be the biggest one this decade. If you really look at record-breaking moments, it'll probably be the, in any sport. Because, like, when LeBron – yeah, basketball is different. When he scores the bucket that breaks DeBar's record, it just, it just won't be a big deal. It's just not in basketball because there's a million points that are scored. Um, and, you know, the home run thing, because no one believes any home run isn't steroid-induced now, you know, even now, even with drug testing, they don't believe it. So this this goal is going to be, like I said, I think it'll be the big – in football, people don't care about records, which is actually a strength of football. They just care about the games. Like no one knows who has the most touchdown passes or even the rushing yards. You got to stop and think about it. Is that Emmett Smith or Walter – I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I think, like I said, this is going to be – you know, only Jack Nicholas breaking – or Tiger Woods bracing Jack Nicholas, I think, will be the only other sport record that will be bigger than Ovechkin if he's able in that week and month leading up to it. And I hope it's a game of the week on ESPN. Who gets? And I hope I get to call it. So uh, that would be that would be poetic justice if I get to call the record-breaking goal. And you, and you kind of touched on it too. Like I, I personally, it kind of happened to a better guy, man. Like you look at Ovechkin and just the way he's played the game, he plays it the right way. If he goes over the line, he backs it up. And then I don't know in the 30 years of my life if I've ever seen somebody want the puck and want to score a goal as much as that guy. Like, I don't know how old he is right now, but every goal he scores, he still has. It's the first goal he ever scored in the NHL. And there's that passion that, like, I feed off that. Like, that's why kids watch the game, to see a grown-ass man jump up and down, ripping clappers at the top of the circle that the other team know is coming but still can't stop it. It's insane. Yeah, he just turned 35, and actually, I, I wrote about this about my son. I wrote a, a I wrote about my my part of my hockey column. I wrote from 01 till about 2017. I'd write about my son coaching him, building a backyard rink, Jack, 
And uh, Jack, and I always said Jack has that Alexander Ovechkin quality, which always made me proud as a dad, is he got more excited when someone else scored than when he scored. Like, I love Ovechkin. When someone else scores, he's so happy for that. So he goes right over and he hugs him. And he, that's what my, my son always did that. It wasn't like, oh, I wish I would have scored that goal. And like, because that's probably how I would have been when I was young. <laughs> I would have been more like that. And, but but my son Jack was always so happy when someone on his team scored. And that's what I love about Ovechkin. He was always, and we've seen sport, we've seen superstars and many other in, in sports, other sports and hockey that they, they're not like that. There's like a little jealousy. He's no jealousy. He's uh, and you know, winning that cup, we saw how much that meant to him, how much inside it meant to him. How and, cool, Gucci, uh, him jumping oh. off boards with his helmet off like I, I did it i finally did it like little yep. moments like that just make me so happy and that i think honestly think that's why hockey's easily my favorite sport because it's just that passion man it's just like no that, that yeah. want to win and just the happiness of like he's a 35 year old kid playing playing the best <laughs> sport in the world and he doesn't care what you think and i love it yeah, because it just had like I said, these guys start when they're five, six, and there's never not been a hockey season. So like they had this momentum, so they're still kids. Until they retire, they're not really ever going to grow up until they really <laughs> retire. And so that, and, and then because that they're, they're it's an extent, and that's what happens with us, us who play high school hockey or growing up playing hockey or other sports. Once we stop playing and go work for a couple of years, then, it, then it's just different after that. You lose that. Maybe there's a chance I can make the show and if I just a couple things go my way, you know. I'm and uh, so yeah, so these kids they they are little kids because they have yet to been. That's their only life they know. So yeah, it's gonna be fun to watch. It'll be fun to see how he comes back and uh, see if he hits the ground running again like he did last year. And uh, it'll be fun. Yeah, he's a he's a he's an interesting character, and the, and the the cup did not mean that much to to non Canadian players uh 20 even just 20 20 years ago it didn't mean that much you know they, they didn't get paid in the playoffs they want they wouldn't mind losing and going back home but now you see the stanley cup has become the number one trophy in all of hockey again it wasn't that way before winning a world championship maybe an olympic medal but and it's still big to win a medal and a world championship in a world but there's nothing like this it, it has elevated above every other hockey trophy on planet earth. That wasn't the case 20 years ago. And because you mentioned Ovechkin's reaction is what helps sell the trophy and give the trophy status. And it gives the league status and the league's doing great. You know, we're expanding Seattle's coming next year. Um, obviously this pandemic has kind of put a, the, every sport in the mud a little bit, but hopefully they can survive and, um, and, t and they can, we can get past this and the, the arenas will be full again and, and the, and the league will be back with a full cash register because uh, it's, a, it's a great game and it should only continue to grow. I think it'll be really interesting to see what his reaction is. Uh, when, you know, I'm going to say when he breaks it, uh, you know, <laughs> is it going to be, you know, a typical Ovi where he loses his mind jumping into the board celebrating, or is he just going to become so overwhelmed with emotions that he just kind of stands there and just goes like, yes, puts his hands in the air. I did it. You know, That's a good like, point. Yeah, I, it, it could depend on what kind of goal it is. He'll be 40 or 41 by my projection when it happens. So he'll have, you know, his son will be his son will probably remember it. I think his son's maybe two now. So that that puts his son at around, you know, uh, eight. So he'd remember that moment, which would mean a lot to Ovechkin. They'll probably have a he'll probably have him skate out in full uniform with Ovi in the back. Yeah, they'll probably have him set to go in the tunnel. Get out there. They'll get him dressed every game until he breaks the record. Let me get him dressed for 10 games in a row. Dad's in a slump. But um, 
so yeah, so I think that part of family and especially his mom and dad are there and his son, he might have even another, you know, maybe have two more kids, who knows? He might have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And, and so it could be, and, and to, you know, where it is and if he's still on the Capitals, you never know. You know, I think he will be, I think he'll want to finish everything there, but he, you know, he does have a contract coming up. He's representing himself. You never know. Some crazy owner in LA or Vegas might want him in their show and give him an outrageous salary that the Capitals, I can't imagine it happening, but I hope it doesn't. Um, but yeah, it, that reaction will be interesting to see what kind it is. I just really hope it's not like a shot goes off his ass or something. Yeah. That would be What's that would be one anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a one time a one time power play goal would be the best for sure. It has to be. Absolutely poetic. And you mentioned Ovechkin's son. If I'm the Rangers, I'm just going to pick him next year. Might as well get that out of the way right now. Get it. Yeah. Get yeah. it. <laughs> um, I, I think we kind of covered the NHL. You gave us about uh, New York Rangers having a big year. Pittsburgh maybe falling off. We talked Ovechkin. Uh, I have just a couple random questions. Sure. For you. That's cool. Uh, what's your favorite rank the broadcast app? Hmm. Penn State's right up there. You're right at center ice. You're only 20 rows up. It's you can see players' names and numbers on the uniforms clear as a bell, which is which helps. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these you're way up high. Yost at Michigan's an awesome place to do a game. I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, I, I got to do the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, I was surprised ESPN let me call World Cup of Hockey games. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, but going to Toronto and, and being in that city and and that in that arena and that whole vibe and calling the Nathan McKinnon overtime goal against Sweden, which I hear on Twitter every now and then I get a big kick out of that. I'm like a little kid when I hear that. And I was kind of happy with my call. I'm not always happy. I'm kind of a perfectionist and very critical, self-critical, but I was like, Oh, I got that one pretty good. That's a neat call. So I was so happy that, and like I said, my, my dream and goal is to do NHL games, you know, preferably for ESPN. And so I'm hoping that's how I kind of, finish up my career like these next seven to eight nine years or so that i that you know, i want to kind of finish up i'm in i'm in the back nine here i'm in the third period i would i'd love to finish it just doing a bunch of great hockey stuff playoff games and record-breaking games and going to all the arenas and that, that would so i'm kind of i'm hopeful that'll happen uh, if it doesn't that's cool um i'm not i'm not worried over it or anxious over it but i hope that happens I hope it happens too. You clearly have the following and the passion and the desire to do it. So I'll be rooting for you. Uh, Thank you. Really random. I think Hank has one random question. I just want to ask this one before. I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Let's say hypothetically you have a chance to host your own music festival and you can pick five bands or artists, dead or alive, to play your festival. I love asking this question because I think you can learn a lot about somebody. Who are you picking? Wow, that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing one. Five, huh? Whew. Okay, I'd want to start off with a lot of energy and, uh, yeah, someone to come right out of the gate with, with a bunch of energy and probably all these people, what I would say, you know, parenthetically in their prime. That's when you want this, where these people would be in their prime. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, I would probably, I would come out with Guns N' Roses first, okay. just Again, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even consider myself a giant Guns N' Roses fan, but I lived, you know, I'm, I'm roughly the age of the band. I think I'm, we're about the same age when they hit it big, and people don't understand what it was like when they came on the scene. And and Axl Rose starting off a festival that's a that's a pretty good that's a pretty good way to go. Uh, would be Guns N' Roses. So then number two, I would probably let's go with I'd probably go the I'd go the Beatles too. Okay. But then we got we got the noise out of the way. We have you know we got lots of energy. We're fired up. Then the Beatles are going to come out and just do like 
big hits of theirs, like sing-along hits, everyone's ready to go, and just kind of their rocky hits too, maybe a lot of John Lennon songs, and just, you know, keep it going. Everybody's along, dude. The atmosphere is pretty good, right? We went from a high, now everybody's kind of rocking together. I'm into that. That's a pretty good number two uh, uh, to fire in there. Um, in the three hole, boy, you got you can you you can go you can go anywhere in the three hole. Where would you go in the three hole? Mm. Uh, I'm trying to think of almost like a different genre here to take it somewhere else. Um, I love yeah, I would probably, I would, let's see. Because I, I want to finish with you two at five, because that's kind of like my guys, my band. And for me, just to kind of, because, you know, he's a great preacher. He can really make it kind of like a big sway, you know, kind of those big sway moment where some of those songs and Sunday Buddy Sunday and some of those big anthems, I'd probably go out with them and then bring everybody else back on the thing for one big song, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I need a three and the four. Maybe you guys can help me. What do you think would be a good slot? A couple Ooh. slots in there. You nailed it with you two closing that out because they're, they're closing. Like you you close a show yeah. when you, you're going to remember where you're at. I, I, I'm weird, man. I like country music. I love, I love me some Kenny Chesney. That's the kind of guy, you know, I like Kenny Chesney. I'm Sonny. Um, I love some Fleetwood Mac. Oh, I love some Fleetwood Mac. I, I have a golden retriever puppy. I named her Stevie after Stevie Nick. This little thing. Nice. Uh, maybe Gucci Man. Maybe you could go out there with Gucci. That's what, was, that's, that's what I was. That's what I was waiting to hear. That's a little hardcore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> to tie to to uh, Blink One Eighty Two in their prime at number three, they're just fun, you know. Just like six great songs from Blink right in the middle, just to go crazy and and just have fun. And they're fast, they're quick, they're uncomplicated. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. So I'll go Blink after. How, how many people put Blink One Eighty Two after the Beatles on their uh, <laughs> on their list? You got to think not a lot. Yeah, probably yeah, not a lot. And uh, yeah, number four. Geez, I'm trying to think of just an amazing performer. You know, I wouldn't mind having George, Michael, and Queen come out and do uh, some of their amazing songs. Because uh, I think George, if I, I thought about it, I think George Michael might be the greatest male vocalist of all time. Like, I really do. His range and all the songs he did, I, I think he would be the best uh, karaoke singer of all time because he can do any cover and make it better, you know? <laughs> so he's, he's pretty. But, yeah, that, that whole Live Aid vibe, you know, with 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 um, with you 2 and with who else? With, I think uh, The Who, who's amazing. Yeah, boy, that's that's a tough question. Next time, give me a heads up so I can think about it for four, for four weeks because I can't make a decision unless I have four weeks like that to think about it. That's still a big-ass concert, though. I respect that. Yeah, I'd go to it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah I easy. think so. I think we could sell some tickets for that. Yeah, right. I think so. We'll get on that. We'll get our biz dev guy on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, Hank, I think you got one last question. Uh, I actually have two, and I'll try to knock okay. them out. I'll try to knock them out real quick. Uh, Ked, I'd send you a little bit of uh, media here for if you could throw that up on the screen. Oh, good call. I forgot that we had that. I love this. Here we go. Can they make it in time to get a shot? Wow. Blocked. Rebound. Oh, shot. Score! Justin Hall, I think he beat the buzzer. Of course, we'll take a look at this. I remember I remember that call very well and I remember it very well because I will I got to hear it for the first time when I woke up the next morning because I had to go to bed maybe 30 seconds before hearing that call. Would you wow. say that is one of your most memorable calls, if not which? You know, you mentioned the Nathan McKinnon goal earlier. Um, you know, 
what would you say would be your most memorable call? Yeah, I think the Nathan Kennett was my favorite because it was so crazy. And I loved, I, I really liked how I, I, I made the eventual call. That I was happy with that. I was proud of myself on that one because I kind of sensed it could happen when the faceoff was in the other end. Like right away, I thought they, you know, first you're thinking about the team, you know, with the, the faceoff in their own end that, you know, they're going to score. But then when they, when they came out of the zone, I'm like, there's time. And so I was anticipating the whole way. And then I'm glad that when he scored, I was pretty sure he beat the clock. Like I wasn't, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Did I was like, I think he did it because I, I didn't want to go all the way because you want to sell the goal call as best you can in case it counts, right? Because right. you don't right. want like a Super Bowl winning call. Here comes James White. Is he in? We'll have to wait for the review. Well, yeah. they're not going to play that 20 years from now. So just <laughs> go with it. Just say, ah, they win. If they don't, okay, they change it. But at least yeah. have that moment. Right. So I would tell that to all young broadcasters, any sport, just broadcast it like it's definitely the game-winning score, just in case it is, because they'll play that the rest of your life. But if you if you get too, you know, journalistic and say, well, we'll have to wait and see or no, I don't know, yeah, just go with it. But, yeah, I really thought I could see it happening. I could see it developing. I could see the possibility. And I, you know, I picked up the guy. I got the, the goal scorer, and I thought it counted. So, yeah, I was pretty – I was pretty happy with that one, and uh, I hope there's more to come for sure. You know, Booty, you know, when you were talking about like reading the play, that's I mean, you're you're a hockey player, but you're not on the ice, right? Like you're you're finding those open lanes, right? Like you're finding the people that are finding the soft areas of the ice. Yeah, and I never really thought of that until right now. But like you, you really have to understand what's going on. The fact that you saw that play develop, I mean, that's way different than somebody who's just calling who has the puck. Yeah, I mean, because I think that's one of my strengths. I, I don't think I have a great voice, so I need to make up with that by like understanding play, understanding flow, seeing possibility. In fact, at the Frozen Four a couple years ago in Buffalo, the game was in overtime. Uh, UMass was playing Denver, and the puck was in the Denver end, and UMass was kind of cycling, and Barry was trying to get some quick. You know, analysts don't want to talk over a goal; they hate, you know, they don't want to do that, and uh, and it doesn't offend me. I don't really. It's fine, but they don't want to do it. So Barry was talking. He goes, what do you think, Colby? Colby Cohen was between the benches. And so Colby started to kind of take Barry's point to, to go on. And at that point, the puck's behind the net. And it, it start, And I can sense that this guy's going to ring it around the boards to the left point. So as, as he starts to do that, I go, I say, watch out as Colby's talking. And that was my cue to Colby to say, stop talking now. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think there could be a goal. And Colby, to his credit, stopped. And then uh, the shot was taken and scored for the overtime winning goal. And I kept saying, watch out, watch out, UMass wins. And so I was really happy with that call because I almost was like the producer or director saying, okay, Colby, I think there could be a goal here. I see, I, I see space anyway for a chance. And he stopped just in time and ended up being kind of a neat, cool little inside the beltway we knew what was going on and i think eventually the viewer kind of gets it too but then it's, it's fun uh and then and they actually scored and it was a good finish and so i was really uh i was happy with that one too that's cool that's awesome well bucci this has been great and i'll uh, i'll try to keep this last one really quick um i my buddies would kill me if i didn't ask you this question the date is november 4th 2016 uh ked i sent you this picture if you have it go ahead and bring it up uh if not i got it on my phone you decide to wear the jersey of a club hockey team okay. from Allentown, Pennsylvania, called the <laughs> Muhlenberg Mules. 
And you sent, let's see, there were five of us in the apartment at the time. Five of us going absolutely nuts. <laughs> what made you start want to start wearing club hockey jerseys on SportsCenter to talk about hockey? Because I will remember that moment. Yes, there it is oh, right there. It there. Is. I will remember that? that moment till the day I die. I can't imagine. I went to Heidelberg College, almost Muhlenberg, but Heidelberg College in Tiffin, Ohio. And if I had seen someone wear a Heidelberg jersey on, you know, on Sports Center back then, it's like, what is this happening? But yeah, what happened was, um, I, guys from Maryland sent me a club hockey jersey. I'm not sure why. It was like a crazy when Maryland had those crazy football uniforms, and I was like, I was like, yeah, you can send me one. Or I don't know why it even came, but then then. Scott Van Pelt would have me on his show to do hockey highlights. Like, here's two minutes of hockey highlights with Bucci. I would go crazy and nuts. I would, I would just do sports center, but they would, hey, can you stick around and come in the next segment and do some more? Yeah, I'll do. So I knew ahead of time, but I was thinking, That'd be, oh, maybe I'll take that Maryland jersey they mailed me and I'll, I'll wear it during my segment because Scott went to Maryland. So just as a good, I said, that'd be perfect, you know, because uh, it's kind of a different show, a little more loose. And I said, yeah, so I put, I put it on, I go out there, I do it. And then sure, and I tweeted and everything, me and Scott and talking. I have that somewhere in my phone too. And um, and all of a sudden I get all these DMs. Hey, we're the University of Delaware. Hey, we're Clemson. Hey, we're Oak if we sent us your jersey, would you wear it? I go, sure. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Whatever. So that's how it started, just because I wore that jersey on Scott's show once. And so every time he would cap me on, it was not a lot. I got more jerseys and appearances. Um <laughs> I would wear a different jersey in the Seton Hall or Clemson. People know Clemson had a hockey team or Alabama, Oklahoma with a covered wagon. It's unbelievably good. And then I started hosting, luckily, you know, ESPN Plus, our streaming service at ESPN, the Netflix for uh, for sports. Um, they have a, in the crease show, you know, a nightly highlight show. And they show every highlights of every game on uh, ESPN Plus at the end of the night. And so I started hosting a lot of those. So that gave me another chance to wear jerseys. I wear college jerseys when, when I do that, too. So at least I have more outlets to wear. Like I said, if I ever get my own podcast in the future, like you big shots, I'll probably just wear a different college hockey. Cause I got, I, got, I literally have about 200. Like I, they're taking over uh, my house. So I'm hoping I'll be able to use, although I also have, again, my crazy mind, I'm thinking this is a sign from God to open up a hockey bar called sweaters and I'll put all the sweaters. How about that? It's a great name for a bar. Isn't it sweaters? That's phenomenal. I'm going down to sweaters and all the sweaters will be on the wall. And if you want to come in, like I'll probably get like, you want to buy, I'll, I'll frame them all. You want to buy a Clemson sweater? You go to Clemson, like 200 bucks or something. And it'll, and it'll go like to a local charity, like, you know, sweaters for kids or sweaters for learn to skate. Like you get all like pay for people's learn to skate. But I would, so I'm thinking maybe uh, that that's a sign. And I'm someday I'll have a hockey bar. Neither in Naples, neither in Naples, Florida, or Cape Cod. You guys can come out, and we'll have a hockey net inside a cage with targets. And if you hit four targets in a row, you get a free dinner, or a free beer, or a free shots, or whatever. So, I love that. well, it looks like I'm so, paying yeah. for everything at your bar then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's awesome. You know, you you make a lot of people's nights when you do that. I really, I want you to know that that was because uh, no, none of us knew who sent that one uh, when we saw you wearing ours. So. That was a phenomenal memory, and uh, cool. Like I said, had to had to bring that up. Really appreciate you doing that. No, that's awesome. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing it. Absolutely. Well, this has been great, Bucci. Again, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, uh, hopefully, we get this out uh, pretty soon. Um, sure. This has been great, Ked. You got anything else? Thanks for coming on, but more importantly, man, thanks for growing the game in the United States. Like, yes. 
I uh, I bleed red, white, and blue, man. I love this country. But I'm so jealous of the fact that like Canada just eats, sleeps, and breeds hockey. Like I right. this year, and I mean you do too, man. And little shit like that goes a long way for mm-hmm. me. I know that the United States isn't really known for hockey, but you really push that for us. And uh, just keep up the good work, man. And I cannot wait to watch you announce some NHL games on ESPN. Hopefully, <laughs> Hopefully well, that's thanks for doing this. No, thanks for doing this, you guys. It's a great, it's a great looking. Thanks to all the actual Obuchi logos and the crawl. It's really that, that. Those are whatever you do in life. Those little touches matter. And uh, pay attention to the small things and and the, the small details and take care of those. And the big things will take care of themselves. So I, I really I had a lot of fun doing this. And thanks for the extra extra fun. Awesome, Absolutely, it was great having you.